0: Hi there, plant friends. Thank you for joining me again here at the Plow & Hose studio, which is here on my backyard patio out here in Taylor, Texas. I have been super excited because this past week was really, really great for me personally. I got to take care of some personal projects and they went really well. I've been working on them really hard and it's just been really nice and great and another thing about this time of year is that we are getting a little bit closer to my favorite holiday which is halloween now we are at that point in the year where i have no idea what to expect from the weather i look out the window and it looks and it seems kind of cool and rainy, but then I go outside and it's miserable, it's hot, it's smuggy, it's sticky, and it's really annoying because, I don't know about you, but I am just ready to turn off the air conditioner for a while and just have some nice, pleasant weather just for a couple days. Just, I'm just getting tired of the, the heat. I don't know. We just got to see how it goes because Mother Nature just does her own thing and... Who knows what it, what it's going to end up being. It could end up being quite beautiful and perfect. Here in our little part of Central Texas, uh, the past couple of weeks, we've gotten some rain and that's really helped refresh things around the garden. I've noticed that um, in our yard, we've got these thin, delicate blades of grass that are starting to poke up in bare spots in the yard. And all of my veggie plants that I still have in my raised beds, they are really perked up and they look all nice and refreshed from that rain and they really do look good. I'm a little bit jealous because I wish I could just go stand outside in the rain and then go back inside and look all refreshed and perky and stuff, but... That's never going to happen. I'm just a little bit too old for all of that. that. Um, there's not a whole lot of uh, refreshing that can happen with me. But anyway, I still like this time of year. Because fall in Central Texas is kind of a second spring. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's more of like a springtime in reverse. I, I don't know. It can be pretty nice. Fall is not nearly as hot as it is during the summertime. It's really cool enough that we are able to plant lots and lots of things. And when we get some nice rain like we have, then the yard starts to green up a little bit and we get a nice little bit of uh green after the long hot summer and it's just kind of nice um to have that I've noticed a lot of dandelion greens starting to pop up again in my yard they're really all over the place and another um plant that uh, that is starting to make a comeback in my yard is horse herb and i absolutely love it horse herb is a sweet little plant that grows really really well in central texas it grows just about anywhere. It grows in the sun. It grows in the shade. It's um, a short little ground cover that only gets to be about six inches tall or so, but it absolutely thrives in any condition, even the worst, even terrible condition. It really does not care what you give it. You can give it sun. You can give it no light. It just doesn't give a crap. It (laughs) needs so little to survive. And It survives, and it stays green in places where turf grasses just won't grow. Horse herb is a small little plant that gets to be about um, a foot wide and six inches tall. It has small arrowhead-shaped leaves, and it puts out teeny tiny yellow daisy-looking flowers. The flowers are super small, like maybe the size of a pencil eraser. Actually I think they might be smaller than that. Anyway, um, horse herb flowers are bright sunshiny yellow and the pollinators just love them. Bees, butterflies, birds, all love these banana yellow flowers. And I know that like when we think of um, pollinator insects, what really comes to mind are like honeybees and monarchs and pretty birds like blue jays and cardinals but in reality there are thousands of insects that we just never notice and being so low to the ground most of us don't see the smaller more subtle creatures that are visiting horse herb like little tiny sulfur butterflies or mining bees and sweat bees and even hummingbirds enjoy the um, horse herb flower nectar just because we don't notice these little critters it doesn't mean that they don't exist or, um, want to eat, but horse herb is a really important source of nectar for lots and lots of pollinating creatures. I love horse herb. Um, it is a cute little plant and it will grow in the lawn and will stay green when other plants just don't want to live like the grass. Turf grasses that grow around here, um, they're really fickle, and they want conditions to be perfect for them. They want it warm, but not too hot. They want it to stay really moist, and they don't want the sun to be too hot. its They're so picky. Our our lawns and our turf grasses are actually more ideal for tropical and subtropical tropical climates which is not what we have here in central Texas but horse herb can totally thrive and it does in central Texas and it really tolerates our intense summers it will stay green when most other ground cover plants and grasses start to suffer i know that there are a lot of people out there who like lawns and their turf grass they only want to maintain grass they don't want any other type of plant trying to live in their lawn and they consider all these other plants just trying to live they think they're weeds they don't want dandelions or clover or ponyfoot or horse herb nothing i don't get it that's a monoculture and it's a whole lot of work Turf grasses are high-maintenance, they want to be fed, they want to be watered, and they want to be mowed. That's fine. I get it. Manicured lawns are really pretty and they're beautiful, and if you are really into lawns, you're probably going to have to rely heavily on synthetic fertilizers and herbicides to keep them perfect. It's too much work for me. It's too expensive. It's not good for... The environment lawns properly maintained lawns are practically a part-time job and I'm just not into that I got other things to do than water and mow a yard and besides I enjoy all the different plants that are in my lawn and I also like all the little critters that come to visit horse herb is deer resistant and it does not mind being mowed. So if you have it in your lawn and you mow over it, it's gonna bounce right back and it will actually get fuller and put on more leaves. It's drought tolerant, it tolerates dry sandy soil. It can handle some foot traffic. You can walk on it and it doesn't like get ruined if you step on it like some other flowering plants. Horse herb is a member of the Aster family, and not only does it stay green most of the year, it blooms year-round, and I think that's pretty cool. It's native to the southern U.S., Mexico, Belize, and the Caribbean. It's called horse herb because, of course, the horses like it, they'll graze on it, and other mammals will too. And I did read that it's technically edible, And um, I did taste it, but it really doesn't taste like much. It's just kind of green tasting, nothing amazing, but it's all good because the little pollinators really love it. So I like having it around. Well, we finally got around to removing three really large Arizona ash trees from our yard they froze earlier this year in the big winter storm that we had back in February. And at the time, they seemed to die all the way back to the ground. But we weren't really in a big rush to take them out right away. And that's because we wanted to give all of our plants a chance to see how they would recover, if they're actually going to recover. So we let these big ash trees just go all year. And then finally in the summer, they decided to start showing some signs of life and they started to send out suckers from the base. Now suckers are shoots that sprout out from the base of a tree or a shrub. Suckers are a tree's attempt at growing more branches. It's usually a response to some sort of stress. And most of the time, it's a last-ditch effort to survive, and with these Arizona ash trees, it was the freeze that caused the stress. And of course, almost freezing to death is definitely stressful. But you know, trees will also put out suckers when they are heat and water stressed, and I've seen um, I've seen that happen often um, with younger trees during um, during droughts and when they were. Um, we will get heat and water stressed. Arizona Ash trees are prevalent around Central Texas, and they have been really popular landscape trees because they are so fast growing, and they grow quickly and provide lots of really nice shade. But they are softwood trees, and they're really prone to all kinds of problems mainly related to breaking and splitting. And whenever they start to um, break and split like that, then that's when the trouble really comes, like with insects and disease. Tree borers are a huge problem with Arizona ash trees, and these bugs just love them. Tree borers are opportunists. They are attracted to weak and damaged and dying trees, And they will always go for trees that have been weakened by stress or like a nutrient deficiency. Once a tree is targeted by a tree borer, there is not a whole lot of chemical option to control them. You can remove and destroy heavily infested plants. You could inspect and And extract any larva that you find Um, this would involve looking over your trees looking for holes and then digging out the larva with like a small blade or sticking it stabbing it with a wire or something similar but who is gonna do that who is gonna go out there and climb up and down a big old tree looking for tree borers nobody my Arizona ash trees were quite large, but they didn't tolerate that freeze, and um, they were old, and they also had some other issues um, related to breaking and splitting over the years. So we just cut them down, had them removed. It was really, really sad thing to do. Nobody wants to cut down a mature tree, but it was dead, except for those suckers. And, you know, even though they had a little bit of life left in them, it's not a good sign when those suckers come up. They just weren't going to be able to recover and be pretty trees again. They would have looked weird. They would have been weak and sickly and then just prone to all kinds of problems. So they had to go. But as... Sad as that was, it's okay. Because now we can plant something better and much more suited to our central Texas soil and climate, like a native tree. Native trees and plants will always do much better than non-native varieties. They will be much more drought tolerant and they're gonna have a whole lot less issues with pests and disease. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you'll go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out KBSR. Um, There's a little tab at the top um, for the radio station. Go check that out and learn about the great shows and the music all coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. While you are um, checking that out, um, please go over to like wherever you get your podcasts, like Apple or Spotify, and subscribe to the Plow and Hose podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play, pause, and rewind my show whenever you want, go download some episodes and be sure to leave a review. This is going to help others find the show, and downloading Plow and Hose episodes helps me with some show st- um, statistics. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, since my Arizona ash trees were right out by the street and in front of the house, um, we had them cut down, I really want to replace them with something, um, more suitable, something hardier, and honestly more interesting. I'm thinking I want something that has some nice fall color. And I am personally partial to trees that turn red and orange in the fall. So I am thinking that we might check out, the Chinese pistache if you like um, vibrant orange fall foliage then Chinese pistache is the tree you want to get even though um, this tree is native to China it is Texas native adaptive tree and all this means is that a plant that isn't native to the area Um, but it grows like it is like it's a native Adaptive plants pretty much have all the positive growing characteristics of native. They are just as drought tolerant and pest and disease resistant, just like native plants. Chinese pistache is highly recommended by the Texas A&M horticulture experts because these trees are just so drought tolerant and they grow really well all over Texas, like from El Paso to Houston. Chinese pistache have individual, small individual leaves and they alternate like on a twig that grows about 15, uh, you know, up to 15 inches long. It kind of grows like, um, pecan leaves. Anyway, this gives them a really soft and drapey canopy Chinese pistache is a medium-sized landscape tree, and it only gets to be about 40 feet tall. They have dark green leaves in the spring and the summer, and then they turn yellow and then orange in the fall. And depending on the weather and the soil conditions, they can actually turn red or crimson. Chinese pistache have small berry-like fruits um, that the birds really go crazy for, but they will only form on female trees. Chinese pistachio trees are also used as rootstock for grafting edible pistachios. Now, pistachio nut trees, the ones that like we like to eat, um, those trees only like desert conditions. They like the hot, dry heat of the summer and then cold winters. So they like hotter, cooler, and drier conditions than, than we have here in Central Texas. But... It would be cool if we could grow pistachio trees, but, uh, anyway, uh, we don't have the conditions for that, but Chinese pistache will grow here. If you have room for a larger tree in your yard and you want great fall color, check out the schumered Oak. Shimmered Oak trees are a nice, really large shade tree. They get to be like 90 feet tall and about 60 feet wide. They have a nice deep green leaf, and it has like that classic oak leaf shape. But instead of turning brown like most of the oak trees, the shimmered oak leaves turn scarlet red in the fall. Once they get established, they're really heat tolerant and they don't need a whole lot of water. Here in Taylor in Central Texas, On our side of IH 35, we have that dark, heavy clay, blackland prairie soil that's really quite alkaline. Schumered oaks tend to prefer a more neutral or acidic soil, but with a little attention and some soil amendment while they are getting established, schumered oaks will do just fine here. When you are ready to plant, just dig your hole little more than twice the size of your root ball. Put a couple shovelfuls of compost in the hole. This is going to really help improve our heavy clay soil and it's going to help attract microbes um, which will help your tree establish roots. Shimmered oaks like well-draining soil and that little extra compost is going to help it drain. So compost really helps a lot more than um, a lot of folks realize. Schumered oaks are... They they prefer a more um, acidic soil and it's, it's really easy to fix. Um, you just need to add some like pine straw or some fresh oak leaves for mulch around your newly planted schumered oak. Both fresh oak leaves and pine straw are naturally acidic, and as they break down around your tree, they can help neutralize the soil pH. There's also other products that you can um, buy um, to help adjust the soil pH, but compost and mulch are really the best soil amendments, and they're usually a lot less expensive, and it's hard to overdo either mulch or compost trees are really great things to add to your landscape. They add shade that can help keep your house cooler in the summertime. They add beauty to your yard and they actually add value to your property. And no matter what kind of tree that you decide to plant, just be sure to read that plant tag and make sure wherever you want it, it's going to have plenty of room. Some trees like shimmered oaks get really big and you've got to be mindful of what their full size is going to be when they grow all the way up even though most trees are little scrawny things when we buy them eventually they will grow up Um, just make sure that you plant them far enough apart from each other and far enough from your house or your neighbor's house or power lines again when planting trees dig a hole twice the size of the root ball and break up the roots if they seem pot bound. So if the roots have kind of coiled inside the pot, that's that means they're um, pot bound. And all you have to do is kind of pry up, pry away the roots and just kind of fluff them out a little bit. You put the, um, put that in your hole and then just backfill with the soil. If you have a tree like in a five-gallon pot, then you need a hole that's about a 10 gallon size hole. So twice the size of whatever um, the pot size you have. Just place the tree in the hole and then backfill it with dirt. Taking out that extra dirt makes it looser and that's really good for the roots and the softer soil will help um, the tree get established and put on new roots. As far as anything else that you need to do, I see a lot of newly planted trees that are staked and then they're tied for support. And I'm kind of on the fence about doing this. And part of the reason is I think a lot of people do this because they see it being done, especially like in commercial commercial settings, in commercial landscape, where the person who planted it plants it and then they leave. They're not tending to it. They put it in the ground, and then they go home for the day. They never see that tree again. At home, you're going to be visiting your tree. You're going to know what the conditions are. You're going to know if it's in a really windy location. And you're going to know how deep it's planted. And you're going to be around just to check on it. If a tree is planted in an area where there are really high winds, or you're planting a tree, a large tree that's top heavy, or you're planting a bare root tree, then you might consider staking it because um, temporarily staking a tree until the roots um, have time to get established, that's fine. You're not gonna just like leave them out there in the landscape the benefit of leaving them unstaked um, is that trees get stronger from being allowed to sway with the wind. They develop a strong root system, and that's going to help support the trunk and the branches and all the future growth. So just something to think about before you go out and stake your brand new trees. When you are out shopping for trees this fall, always look for native and native-adapted varieties. They are just going to do the best. They will be much more drought tolerant, and they're going to have less issues with pests and diseases. This is where doing some research before tree shopping is going to really be beneficial for you. Trees are just a lot more expensive than shrubs and perennials. So make sure you consider several things like where it's gonna be planted, how much sun it's gonna get. Does it have all the characteristics that you're wanting? I wanna recommend that you shop for um, trees by going to a local garden center. Local owners and workers at garden centers are just so much more knowledgeable about native trees than most employees at the big box stores local nurseries buy the plants and trees themselves and they select exactly what plants they want those big box stores they may have cheaper prices on plants and trees but the people that buy the plants the corporate buyers they typically don't live here they live in other states They really don't know what our soil conditions are. So I really recommend that you spend a little more money and shop at a local garden center with folks that are knowledgeable and have actual experience planting trees in Central Texas. Fall is the best time for planting almost all shade and ornamental trees, and you should be able to find a really good selection of shade trees in the local nurseries. Elm, oaks, Texas ash, cedar trees, laurels, those all should be fairly easy to find. But the only thing that you won't find right now are bare root um, fruit and nut trees. Those will be available in the winter and the early spring, so you should wait um, until those come out if you're wanting to add bare root, nut, and fruit trees. That being said, there is one fruit tree that you can and you should plant in the fall, and that's the loquat tree. Loquats are an evergreen tree that have large, stiff leaves, and they put out small, yellowish-orange fruits. Loquats are native to China, but they're adaptive to um, Texas, and they've been in Texas for a really long time. The fruits look like a small little apricot, but they have more of a texture like a plum, and they're also called Japanese plums. Even though they sound like they could be part of the citrus family and related to like kumquats, they aren't. They are more closely related to apples and pear trees, and all of those are part of the rose family. Loquat trees are, are pretty. I think they're, they're really quite nice. They put out lots of thick leaves and they form a really dense canopy. If you're looking to add something um, for year-round privacy, look into loquats. They grow up to 25 feet tall, and they can get 15 to 20 feet wide. But you also get some nice tasty fruit in the late spring. Um, They're usually ready to pick in like, I don't know, May, sometime in May. Loquat flowers um, aren't really that impressive. Loquats put out small cream-colored star-shaped blossoms And they start appearing in the fall and the winter, and they're a really good source of nectar for pollinators when nothing else is blooming. The fruit will develop over the winter, and they're one of the first fruits that are ready to pick in the springtime. The fruits are sweet, and they taste kind of like a cross between a peach and a mango and maybe like an orange. They're... They have a very short shelf life, and they're very perishable, and that's why you never see them for sale at the grocery store, but you can freeze them, and or you can make them into jam. You can eat them raw. They're pretty good. We have one loquat tree in our backyard, and we planted it probably five or six years ago, and it's been a really great plant for us. That first year, we did have to keep it watered well, but after after that, we, we haven't done anything to it. We haven't pruned it, nothing. It's kept a nice symmetrical shape and has filled out really nicely. We used to be able to see straight into our neighbor's backyard, but since we put in that loquat tree, it's gotten so big and full that we don't even notice their house or their backyard anymore. The leaves on the loquat tree They can be used to make cough syrup and um, tea. In Chinese medicine, loquat leaves are used for respiratory issues, and the tea is supposed to be really good for sore throats. I've not tried making any loquat leaf tea or syrup, but I'm totally going to do it. I'm going to try it. I can't imagine that it would taste any worse than Robitussin, so I'm going to do that. I'm gonna let you know how that goes. While you are out shopping for seeds and pollinator plants or trees, go look for the loquat. They really remind me of other evergreen trees like magnolias and oleanders. They don't have nearly as pretty of a flower as those trees, but they are a whole lot easier to grow than magnolias and they're not poisonous like oleanders. All right, y'all go think about what kind of fall trees that you want to put in. It's a really great time of the year to plant a new tree. That's all I got for you. Thank you for spending time with me again, and we'll visit again next week.